Uh, so we're talking about things, things that go bump in the night. Uh, I wasn't going to do another, uh, I thought last week was the end, but it wasn't. So uh, we're going to continue. I actually have one more after today. Uh, things that go bump in the night, the night. Today I want to talk about rejecting rejection, dealing with rejection. How do you deal with rejection? Uh, Dr. Guy Winch uh, has studied the subject of rejection extensively, and he says, rejections are the most common emotional wounds sustained in daily life. According to Dr. Winch, MRI studies show that the same areas of the brain become activated when we experience rejection as when we experience actual physical pain. Rejection and physical pain share the same pathways to the brain which explains that as far as the brain is concerned, a broken heart may not be so different from a broken arm, the way your body processes it. And then the result of rejection, he says the result of rejection is directly linked to anger and aggression. According to a 2001 study, rejection was a greater risk for adolescent violence than drugs, poverty, or gang membership. So rejection. We often hear about, you know, students, we see this, spurned spouses or laid off employees who lash out, you know, in extreme and violent ways. Dr. Wentz says even mild rejections can lead people to take out their aggression on innocent bystanders. And we've all, we, I mean, we see this kind of stuff in the news all the time. He continues, our risk of rejection used to be limited by the size of our immediate social circle. You could, you think about 50 years ago, 25 years ago, you maybe had a social circle of 25 or 30, maybe 40, 50 people. But now, thanks to electronic communication, social media platforms, and dating apps, which I'm sure you're all on, uh, each of us is connected to thousands of people, any of whom might ignore or criticize your post or attack you with almost irrational violence because they disagree with you. Uh, chats, texts, or dating profiles, and leave us feeling reject, rejected as a result. And we've, we've all experienced rejection. We've all felt, had times where we felt like we didn't fit in, like we, we weren't included. Uh, some of you might feel that right now, right here, uh, feeling like you don't belong or that, that uh, I'm just too much effort to love. I'm too difficult. Uh, we probably all became aware of rejection during junior high when we were coming to terms with puberty and uh, the raging hormones and confusion that that brought into our lives. Uh, if you're not a jock, if you weren't a jock or a cheerleader or in the band or on the drill team or exceptionally pretty or exceptionally, exceptionally handsome, you might feel that you were on the outside looking into the social life at school. Uh, it may not be true, but the reality is we struggle with often what is not true, but how we feel. It's how you feel is, is, your, is, is your truth. doesn't mean it's true. It's how you feel. And even as adults, we often struggle. We want, we want to fit in. Uh, many you may have rejection issues from your parents because you, you had, I had really good parents, but they weren't perfect parents. And I've tried to be a good parent, but I've messed up my kids too, right? And take heart, you're going to mess up your kids uh, too. Uh, it's, it's, it's part of the reality. Uh, so the, the rejection maybe you feel from your parents because of some slight 
Because a lot of times, you know, you can feel it again and not be true. A slight can be real or imagined, and then you can multiply it. You can play it over in your, you know, we know that, that the mind of a child, a teenager, is not fully developed yet. That explains a lot when you understand that their brains aren't fully formed. Add that to divorce, add that, you know, if, if your parents went through a divorce or you've actually gone through a divorce yourself, all of those things, the mistakes you've made, the missteps you've made, the mishaps you've made, they make us feel rather than loved and accepted and valued. We feel rejected. You lo- lost jobs, fired from jobs, missed promotions where they promoted around you, they promoted somebody with less skill and less ability. Uh, but for political reasons or all kinds of reasons, they chose somebody else, and, and so you got rejected. They chose somebody else. Even in church, we can sometimes feel like we are on the outside. Maybe we feel like our, our, our past is too messed up for us to ever fit in. If, ever, if everyone ever knew what I was really like, what my life was really like, what I really struggle with, how sometimes I really feel nobody would love me because I'm not good enough. Uh, not good enough, not in the past or in the present. We, sometimes we feel small or insignificant. We feel like in the scheme of things, we don't matter. That there's people more important than us that have more value than us. Or sometimes we feel like we're not in the end circle. I've been here 40 years. I've never felt like I was in the end circle. So. <laughs> even, even the Apostle Paul, I mean, the great Apostle Paul, I mean... <laughs> The great Apostle Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament, had to deal with rejection. So he opens the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of men, of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So, <laughs> so Paul starts off the letter to the Galatians, a church that he started a church that he planted. It exists because he went there and ministered and led people to Christ and established a church there to writing a letter back to them. He starts off with, hey, I'm an apostle. Why? Because there was a group of Judaizers. These are people who had come from Jerusalem. The early church was about 100% Jewish. And then, through the ministry of Paul, Paul went out to the Gentile nations in the, around the Mediterranean, Rome, Macedonia, and Paul began to build churches among the Gentiles. Jesus called him to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Everybody who's not a Jew. But the, the Jews in Jerusalem that had become Christians, they were promoting a distortion of the truth that you have to keep the law to be a good Christian. You, you needed Jesus. Yes, they believed in Jesus, the Messiah. They believed that Jesus came and died on the cross for their sins, but they believed that that wasn't enough. If you wanted to be a good Christian, if you were a man, you need to follow the Jewish law and be circumcised. You needed to keep the dietary laws. You needed to keep the law. So Paul is saying, you know, I know these people have come to question my authority, but I'm an apostle. Why did they question his authority? Well, he wasn't one of the original 12. He was a replacement for Judas. 
Uh, he had been a, serv- a savage persecutor of the church in his infancy. Uh, he had not been appointed by the hierarchy of the church. James, John, Peter, they had not. He was personally called by Jesus. He heard the call to follow Jesus. Paul had been a fervent, self-righteous Pharisee, confident in his own righteousness when he met Jesus. Galatians 1.13, he describes himself this way. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Paul said, I was a really, really good Jew. But he was rejected. But said, then something happened, and something happened. Paul had what we all have heard about, his Damascus Road experience with the living, resurrected Christ. So here he was trying to destroy the church, trying to destroy the work of Christ, and all of a sudden, he had an interaction with Jesus. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, so he is, he's having actual followers of Christ killed for their faith. Breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. I mean, he doesn't get a chance to to respond. (laughs) Jesus just says, okay, I'm Jesus, and you've been going the wrong direction. Get up and go to Damascus. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one, Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing, and leading him by hand, they brought him to Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man named, of Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. I love this. But Ananias answered, Lord, are you sure about that? I have heard from many about this man how much harm he did to the saints at Jerusalem and Here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, oh, that's okay. That's going to be a lot of trouble. Don't do it. He didn't say that, did he? You ever argue with God? Oh, I I don't want to do that. The Lord says, I don't care. (laughs) I didn't ask you. I mean, you'll just have those times where the Lord will tell you to do stuff. He'll tell you stuff that... Like, hey, pray for that person or tell that person 
Go ask that person if you can pray for them. I have never had anyone say, oh, no, don't pray for me. Have you? I just, it's never happened. But the Lord will tell you to speak to someone or to say a word, and we will argue with the Lord. But the Lord doesn't say, well, you're right, it's embarrassing, don't do it. No, he says the exact same thing that he says to Ananias. He says to him, no, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings of, and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house. After laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. There's something for immediate baptism right there. Do you see that? Is that you, get, you know when you should get baptized? After you get saved. Give your heart to the Lord, get baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. So now what happened? Now, instead of persecuting the church, now he's the persecuted. They're, actually, they're trying to kill him. They, they, they start trying to figure out ways, the, Jewish, the Jews try to figure out ways to kill Paul. They try to kill him. And yet, the church doesn't trust him. I mean, they're thinking, this, this guy's acting like he's a Christian just so he can kill more of us. I mean, would you trust him? I mean, what, what a great way to find out who are Christians. Act like you're a Christian. Then you'd have a road into all kinds of opportunity, all kinds of places. So now he's, he's caught in this no man's land. He's a Pharisee who's not a Pharisee anymore, and he's a Christian who nobody, who no, nobody trusts. So Paul understood rejection. How do we deal with the rejection? First of all, if you learn how to deal with the rejection... You have to recognize that rejection and pain are a normal part of life. It's normal. Now, your situation of rejection is unique, and, and uh, how it happens is unique, but it's just normal. Rejection is a normal part of life. Everybody experiences rejection. Mark 8, 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. They rejected Jesus. The perfect Son of God. They rejected Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. If they're going to reject perfect, they're going to reject you and me too. Because we're not perfect. Matthew 21, Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus, God in the flesh, rejected. He's rejected by the Jews. He was rejected by the Romans. He was rejected by his own disciples. They all denied him. If they rejected Jesus, they're going to reject us too. So what often happens with rejection is that we take it personal. And often it's not about us. I had someone come to me after the, service, after the first service and they wanted me to pray with him. I was glad to pray with him about some rejection that they had, served, they had suffered. And the rejection had nothing to do with them, really. They were just, they were just, it was because of the way the people were that were rejecting them. It wasn't because of them. There was nothing they could do that would change how the other person acted. 
And that, that's how often we feel like there, you know, I, there's some missing component. If I could just please them better, if I could make them happier, if I could make them love me more, then they wouldn't reject me. But the rejection wasn't in him. The rejection is in them. They, they rejected Jesus not because he wasn't the chief cornerstone. He was, but because he wasn't what they wanted him to be. They wasn't what they expected him to be. He said to them, you know, I'm going I'm to have to suffer and be killed. And they're like, even Peter's like, no, no, that, that's not going to happen to you, Lord. They rejected Paul because they wanted to abuse the people he had taught in Galatia. And Paul was standing in the way with the truth. Paul and the truth are standing in the way. So they think we've got to get Paul out of the way so we can, we can abuse these people. Some rejection is personal. There's nothing about it. But nearly always... It's about the internal turmoil of the person who is rejecting you, not something you did or didn't do wrong. I mean, how many, how many kids that their parents abandon them feel rejection when it has nothing to do with them and has everything to do with the parent who rejected them? It, it, it wasn't because they were, a, you know what they think? I was a bad kid. I wasn't a good enough kid. I wasn't a handsome enough kid. I wasn't a pretty enough girl. I wasn't a handsome enough boy. I, wasn't, I, I didn't fulfill their expectations. We want to take that on ourselves. But a, I, I had a friend who did social work for a long, long time, and he worked with CPS in helping with ch children. And he just got to the end. He said, I, I can't. I can't do this. He said, it just, it is killing my soul. I want to help these children. But day after day, dealing with these parents who choose drugs and crack and cocaine over their children. He said, I can't, I can't do it. And see, but who ends up feeling rejected in that? Everybody. Everybody feels rejected. So how do we deal with it? Some rejection is personal, but most of it is not about us. It's about them. So it's natural. Jesus said we should expect it. 1 John 3.13, John says, don't be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. Now, how do you prepare yourself? See, if, how, how about if you got ready? What if I tell you, listen, if you go through that door right there, you're going to meet some of those wonderful people in the world. They're going to be kind, loving, patient, gracious, merciful, compassionate. Just everything you want in people are going to be through that door. If you go through that door and they're mean and impatient, you think there's something wrong with you. Because you were expecting them to be what they weren't, they're not. But if I say to you, listen, I want you to be ready. When you go through that door, those people are selfish. They've only got themselves in mind, and they're hard. They're not very gracious. They're not very loving. They're not very kind. You're gonna go, when you go through the door, you're going to be ready. And so when they're impatient and kind and not gracious, you think, it's not me, it's them. It all comes from our perspective on, on whether we're expecting it or not. Some of you, you were rejected, and you took responsibility for it, and it wasn't your doing. It wasn't your fault. 
It was the emotionally troubled and abusive people around you. It was how they were responding. It wasn't because of you. It was what was inside of them. So you have to see it as normal, expect it, and then you have to know and believe who God says you are. It's so important. You have to know who God says you are. Galatians 1.1. So Paul says, Paul an apostle, not sent through the, from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Knowing who God says you are, and I, I talk about this a lot because it's so important. You got to get this. Knowing who God says you are is the foundation of your spiritual and emotional existence. It's, if you're wounded and broken, it's the key to your healing. How do you get well? You get well by understanding who you are in Christ. Who are you? Well, you're not who you think you are, which is good. Proverbs 28, 26 says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But he who walks wisely will be delivered. So your view of yourself is not truthful. Your view of yourself is distorted, both good and bad. You see yourself at the same time in the distorted view of better than you are and worse than you are. A contradiction of reality. But that's how you see yourself. You compare yourself to others. The mirror distorts your image, the mirror that you look at. Do you have, did you know when you look in a mirror, you're not seeing a true image? Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but a mirror is flat. It's one-dimensional. Are you one-dimensional? No. I mean, you, you know, we'd like to be as thin as the mirror, but it doesn't work that way. And with a mirror, you can't see more than half at a time. In other words, it's a distorted view. You can't see the true self. You don't see the depth. You can see, you can see a sense of it, but you can't see the, the thing. How about even your selfie view? You ever take a selfie? I mean, it's, it's, I mean, we all know, how does everyone take a selfie? Everyone takes a selfie like this, as if we're all being viewed by seven-foot giants. <laughs> most people, you know, most of the people around you are, I mean, Stephanie, it's appropriate. Stephanie, you should take. You're like this. Yeah, I mean, you're with Paul. It's just natural. But for most of us, we should be taking a selfie like this. <laughs> Why don't we do that? Because we don't like that look. It's like, I don't want to be able to count my chins. <laughs> right? So we act, we, it's like we're fooling ourselves. Look, look at me. I look great from, if I can hide all the stuff. Well, oh, wait a minute. Now I can see my ball spot. This becomes more difficult as you get older. It's like you can't find enough spots to hide everything. You're not who you say you are. You're not who others say you are. You're who Jesus says you are. I mean, you know, you need input from other people. You need, you need input from people who love you, care about you. You need to listen to wise counsel, counsel but they're not the decider. The crowd is fickle. <laughs> they'll crown you one day, they'll crucify you the next. You can't get your value based on the number of likes you get on social media. You have to find it in Christ. You are who God says you are. 
The worship team is going to come, come up and we're going to do that song again. But In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, I love this. I've read this a thousand times in sermons because it's one of my favorite verses. Paul talks about how we're chosen, but he chose us. Where do we get our value? How do, how do we deal with this rejection? We deal with this rejection by knowing who we are in Christ. Who are we in Christ? We are chosen. God picked us for his team. He looked down through eternity and said, I want you. He picked us. He chose us. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, in the most loved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. So Jesus meets Paul on the road to Damascus. He knocks him down and he tells him, Paul, you are a chosen apostle to me, to the Gentiles. Paul believed it and staked his life on it. He looked back at all that other stuff and he said, I count it all as dung compared to the knowledge of knowing Christ. It's, compared to knowing Christ, it's worthless. You have to believe who God says you are. Who does God say you are? You're chosen. You're holy. You're blameless. You're predestined to adoption. You're beloved. Grace is, is lavished on you. You know, you don't just get enough. How much do you need? Did you screw up really bad this week? There's plenty. You're not going to have to squeak into heaven on leftover grace. There's an abundance of grace. Your house doesn't determine your value, and your car doesn't determine your value, and your education doesn't determine your value, and the clothes you have don't determine your value. Your value is determined in Christ. Christ says, you're mine, He establishes our worth by paying the greatest price. It has to be a that could be paid. It has to be established. The only way to defeat rejection, the lie of the enemy, is to believe instead what God says about you. There is a lie. Satan is a liar, and he's going to whisper lies into your ear. He started in the garden, and he has never stopped. He lied to Jesus. He's going to lie to you, and the only way you can stand against the lies of the enemy is with the truth of God's Word and say, this is where I stand. I'm called. I'm chosen. I'm a son. And reject the rejection of the enemy. Amen. We're going to blood and sing this song again as we sing it. About the blood of Jesus. I want you to let the blood of Jesus wash this off of you. I want you to let the blood of Jesus defeat the rejection in your spirit and your soul. The words that have been spoken to you that you let ring in your mind are lies from the enemy. And I want you to reject them and receive the life of Christ. Believe what God says about you because it's true.